Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here with another book review episode today, and it is episode 60 in our collection of reviews on the Penguin Little Black Classics collection. If it is your first time listening to a book review in that set, uh, the Penguin Little Black Classics collection is a compilation of 60 pieces of world literature spanning basically all continents, Antarctica accepted I suppose, any continent that has a literary tradition anyway. Today we have a collection or a piece by Shen Fu called The Old Man of the Moon, which was actually a piece of a longer work that was rediscovered. It was written around 1800 and it is a, I would say, short tale of romance. Before we get into the actual review and recommendation, a quick plug for our social media accounts, which we have a few going. We are The Stumped on Instagram. If you want to follow us there, that's probably our most active account. I like to post drawings every week to just allude to the readings and pull some art and try and create something from the work that we read. So that's The Stumped on Instagram. We're also on Facebook at the Brothers Book Club Podcast. Check out and follow us there. I post the Instagram updates to that, and I think I'll start doing some posts soon on there. So yeah, if you're on those social media accounts, give us a follow. Mostly though, we of course just want to thank you for listening as ever. Now let's jump into the review. If you couldn't yet tell, this will be another solo review podcast today, which it's been a while since I've done one of these. Uh, Podcast co-host at this point, Amanda, has been jumping in for many of these Little Black Classic reviews, which we've been greatly appreciative of, as Ryan is on parental duties and parental assignment. Today, though, we're going back to the solo episodes, which I think between 21 and 40, a lot of those were solo pods that I recorded and and planned. Um, So it has been a while since I've done a solo one, but hopefully this is a good way for me to flex my rhetorical muscles, and I'm going to stick with the same format that we've been using for episodes 41 through this 160. And so let's jump right into the one-sentence simile reviews. We do like to begin the reviews with a one-sentence simile trying to encapsulate what the reading experience was like. This is my simile for The Old Man of the Moon by Chen Fu. I thought that reading this was like when you go with a friend for a fully committed high-five, which... When I think about it now, I, I usually hug my close friends. I, I prefer that uh, form of contact, I guess. I think it's more intimate and personal, whatever. But sometimes a high five is warranted. Think about, you know, you're at a bowling alley and you hit, you get a strike or something. You know, you're there for $5 pitcher night and you're just having a good time. And I think a, a bowling strike is the perfect opportunity for a high five. There, there are social situations that call for a high five aren't too many for adults, but there's a few. So anyway, imagine that. You're, you've got your strike. You're swaggering back to your seat, your friends are there, and you're going for a high five with a friend who's up. And they also look like they're committing. You know, they're reading the energy, they're happy for you. What an accomplishment, what a strike. And then they pull their hand out of the high five at the last second. You're even you went full swing. You you had the rotator cuff going. I think that's what that's called. You know, the shoulder <laughs> the shoulder was activated. But yeah, you go and you go for the swing and they pull away. I think that's how reading this felt to me. There was a certain I don't know not euphoria or ecstasy, but there was a certain joy, real bliss in reading this front half of this book, the way it opens, the characters it establishes. I, I was very surprised and really intrigued by it. And then I really felt betrayed by the back end for reasons I'll explain later in, in the other parts of the pod. And so that's how it felt to me. Like you had, you had this moment of joy and it was really pulled away from you kind of unnecessarily, you know, it's like, come on, friend. It's not the most taxing thing to give me that high five. Don't be a jerk. Not that I would call this person a jerk, they made their work as they wanted, but we'll get into why that would be. 
First, though, let's talk about connections. At the beginning of the review episodes, we do like to make clear connections to any current day issues or current day themes, ideas, anything relevant in 2020. And this one's quite easy because this is a, it kind of falls into a timeless genre, so to speak, of human experience. And that is the romance story. I think I don't want to just read the closing lines or reiterate the ending, but the ending makes it quite clear uh, if you do read this that. This was a tale of love and commitment, and you know whether it ends for better or for worse for both people. It's basically about how you dedicate yourself to another person and what you should make of marriage, how you should make a marriage work. Um, at different points in the story, characters explicitly talk about what makes an effective marriage versus an ineffective one, and what makes a you know a good loyal partner versus maybe a more stale or sort of stagnant partner relationship. So if you you know want to read a over two hundred year old account of how romance works and how love works and what relationships mean to people. This is a pretty interesting one to jump back to. I think it has really relatable moments that we'll get to in a second with the quote section of the review, but I think overall it, it deals with those themes in a pretty clear and honestly pretty interesting way. Nothing, I won't say anything truly transcendent or mind-blowing or anything, but there's a lot of charm here and a lot of intrigue and interest too. Okay, with the early pod housekeeping out of the way, I do want to jump now to the quotes for clarification section. This is the kind of deep dive part of the episode where we talk through some quotes from the work that we thought were noteworthy, and really the goal here is to give you a sense of the style of the work and the kind of rhetorical, I don't know, strategy of it? The author's writing style, I think, would be a good way to put it. Anyway, let's jump in with some quotes. I pulled two from the first half that I, that I enjoyed, and I'll explain those first before kind of going to the back half. My first quote is from page 23, and it's about the wife character in the story. Her name is Yoon, and she was by far my favorite. Um, this quote is about her one of her hobbies, and it says, She would take the partial remnants of old books, separate them all into sections by topic, and then have them rebound. These she called her fragments of literature. When she found some calligraphy or a painting that had been ruined, she felt she had to search for a piece of old paper on which to remount it. If there were portions missing, she would ask me to restore them. These she named the Collection of Discarded Delights. I just love that final name. That's, I feel like a lot of hobbies that could maybe be considered hoarding or something, you know, collectors type stuff. Calling your things the collection of discarded delights is such a fun and playful way. It could be kudos to the translation there. I'm not sure how this was translated, obviously, compared to other works as this was originally written in Chinese. And so that's just a great name and title for it. It really makes a um, perhaps, you know, hoarding-based hobby seem kind of just cute and I guess delightful to borrow the word. And that kind of characterization comes up a lot in the first half of this book. Um, Yoon, especially the wife, is given such, I don't know, life, and she kind of has a lightness about her, but it's it's playful and it's fun, and she just comes across as a very, I don't know, joyful and alert character, I think I would phrase it. She doesn't come across as naive, though she has a couple moments where the husband sort of chastises her about making some, I don't know, like social faux pas or mistakes or something like that. But overall, I think... This is a good quote to show that it's sort of like she's, in some ways, she's a slightly odd, but never really off-putting at all. She's really insightful, um, in a way kind of harmless and, again, kind of charming. And I think, yeah, overall, maybe the best word would be sweet. I think it's she's an easy character to read, to connect with, and it just kind of, she adds a real flow to the beginning of the story. And I think their relationship is what makes the first half of the story, b like, by far the better part of it. And speaking of their relationship, the next quote I pulled from page 13 kind of emphasizes some things about that. And this is the quote. It says, 
If Yoon were sitting and talking with someone and saw me come in, she would stand up and move over to me, and I would sit down beside her. Neither of us thought about this, and it seemed quite natural, and though at first we felt embarrassed about it, we gradually grew accustomed to doing it. The strangest thing to me, then, was how old couples seemed to treat one another like enemies. I did not understand why. I think it's a good quote to show how the, you know, the themes of love, romance, and partnership are, are pretty explicit in the work. Again, these are not, I'm not doing some kind of sub-read or, or collecting disparate pieces of evidence and weaving them into some profound synthesis. It's pretty explicitly about their marriage and their love for each other and how that functions and kind of what it gives them and what it does for them. But the other thing is that I think that description is, is a really fitting one for the first half of the story because the characters blend together very naturally in that half. They, they're complementary to each other. I wouldn't call them foil characters or anything, but they certainly work together well, and I think they play off each other. There's a lot of details about their habits that they get into together, the way their romance develops and how they kind of forge this partnership or this bond. And again, it's all very low-key. It's kind of low stakes, to be honest. There's not a lot of drama in the first half of the story. It's just about, I don't know, how they met, and then they're developing romance and courtship and stuff. And it feels very lived in, I think is the word I would pick. It feels, you know, authentic for something, again, 200 years old and in a different culture and a different country, and again, in a vastly different time period. I felt it had just kind of a casual again, almost observational quality that felt really authentic. And it was quite enjoyable to read. Again, these people felt, you know, quote unquote, real to me, not in the sense that they could be my neighbors, but in the sense that they just are going through authentic human experiences and are kind of developing a, a quiet but profound relationship. And I think the, the quote like this shows that. And there's a lot of these little moments between them that are just kind of sweet and it's nice. Uh, but far less nice, then, is the back half of the story. This was such an odd one to read, because I kind of coasted through the front half thinking, this is way more light and charming than I thought it would be. It was pretty plot... I was going to say plotless. That would be too extreme. It was pretty plot-light, though. It's not like anything major was going on. Then there are some turns in the story. There are some definitive um, occurrences, you know, quote-unquote. There's some big happenings, and things for both the characters change pretty profoundly. And the back half, when it kind of shakes their relationship up, um, which I usually don't have a problem with. Conflict, domestic dramas, you know, natural part of a lot of literature. The thing it did, though, is it really changed their characters, and they have far less interaction. Yoon gets far less dialogue. She's, after all, not the main character, I suppose. But with the recession of her character in the story kind of just came the recession of my interest as well, and that, that was the tale of the second half, is I thought it lost a lot of its liveliness and life and it doesn't have to be a sweet tale. I don't mind a tragedy. I really loved rereading Antigone, for example. That was a recent review that we did. But to have the character disappear so suddenly and without a lot of, I don't know, warning or buildup or something um, felt kind of off-putting to me. And though there was a bit of foreshadowing, the whole experience of reading the second half was, I don't know, rather disconnected and unpleasant compared to the first or disconnected from the first. For example, this quote on page 42 sums up how the back half of the story feels. It says, quote, These were Yoon's parting instructions to our daughter. Your mother has had a bitter fate and emotions that run too deep. Therefore, we have had these many problems. Fortunately, your father has been kind to me, and there's nothing to worry about in our leaving. Go to your new home, behave as a proper woman in everything you do, and do not be like your mother. There are a lot of things to unpack in that quote. I suppose we could start with sort of the feminist analysis 
of this book, which I won't again do full critically, won't go full critical mode here because this is a book review after all, I'm not meaning to pick apart everything, but there would be a pretty intriguing and rich reading here. Then again, you would also need some cultural knowledge to do that. Like, I, I don't know what or at least I don't know specifically anything really about 1800s Chinese life, especially not in a you know capital city or whatever. I know kind of some macro things, but not micro. Certainly not anything about marriage tradition or customs or cultural expectations for wives. There's, for example, an important plot line in the story about a con- concubine, which didn't connect with me at all. I didn't really understand that. But anyway, that's all to say it would make for a pretty rich reading or text, actually, because there's explicit issues that Yoon bumps up against here societally with what's expected of her as a woman and what her role should be. And I thought, of course, the transgressions maybe in the front half were preposterously overblown. Again, what came off to me as charming characterization, I think, was meant to be within the story, uh, like, deep... I was going to say undoings, but deep... I don't know, betrayals of what they're, what's expected of her societal expectations. And so it's not that she's undoing them or tearing them apart, but there's enough transgression to, I guess, raise some concerns of her about her character, her person. And again, in the first half, that just all came across as like, she's an interesting, charming person who's pr- pretty, you know, sweethearted and has these, you know, has a personality, has a full, she's fully well-rounded. And I think it, instead in the back half that there's some punishment narratively that comes for her, and it just felt very disconnected and unwarranted to me. It felt odd. And this speech also kind of speaks to the more directness of the narrative in the back half. Like it's her summarizing her experience in a way that, again, didn't relate it at all to how I read it. And that could be, again, a disconnect of time, culture. It could be a combination of those things. But the harshness here and the way she just very bluntly says, don't do what I did. You know, I was a mistake doesn't gel with the way she was characterized in the front half really at all. And it just has no direct connection to the front half of the story. It, it again, feels very abrupt. And the turns, the conflicts that get introduced feel really jarring and sudden. And so to me, narratively, when it takes those turns or twists in the middle, it just all felt unearned and doesn't really cohere or come together. And so a speech like this towards the end is just, I don't know, it felt rather limp and unearned. And I would pull more quotes from the back half to sort of explore, expand that. But let's leave it there for now, as this, again, is a book review, and I don't want to spoil things or give everything away. We do try and stay stay cognizant to that during the book review episodes. Instead, let's jump to the literary corner. This is the educational part of our podcast where we try and give you some kind of literary knowledge to take away. This is uh, our educational backgrounds kicking in. Uh, We want to give you some kind of specific knowledge to think about in the episode. Or if you go and read this, you can think about this. I'm pulling a really simple one today, and that is exposition. From the Penguin Literary Dictionary, it says, At the beginning of his play, the dramatist is often committed to giving a certain amount of essential information about the plot and the events which are to come. He may also have to give information about what has already happened. All this comes under the heading of exposition. A skillful dramatist is able to introduce this material without holding up the action of the play and without recourse to the obvious devices of narrative. And of course, this is not a play, and there is no dramatist, but it is a a story, and I think we borrow the term exposition now to describe really any narrative that has beginning, middle, end structure, like movies, TV have exposition, all narrative has exposition these days. So anyway, we can apply this idea to this story, and I pulled it because I thought the exposition, in terms of the characterization and their relationship, 
was just fantastic. Again, they had such a lived-in feel. Yoon's character really came alive to me. I, she felt very well-rounded and full, and I completely, I thought, understood, I don't know, just her personality type and her motivations and where she was coming from. And then again, the what the exposition failed to do then, I suppose, was prepare me for the real rise of the conflict, the certain fates that befall them, and the, I don't know, catastrophes that come in the back half of the story. So in that way, I don't think it held up the action. Though again, the action in the first half was definitely slower and pretty light compared to the back half. But instead, I think it f failed to prepare me for what the action would be in the second half. I think the exposition was successful, but then I suppose I have to look back at it and say it set really false expectations, I, I guess, for me, and that makes it really unsuccessful. So although I'd like to actually praise it for the character work it did, in a way it was, again, kind of a false build-up to what became in the second half, so I have to come away maybe more critical of the exposition than I wanted to. But it is a fascinating study in that literary device just because of the way it begins versus the way it ends is a really quite a twist and turn, especially for a short story. Let's move, though, to the review. I think it's time to put an official rating on this one. We do like to begin the review segment officially with the Russell French In Memoriam So What's Good About It segment. This is a dedication to my grandfather, who liked to see the good in things. And we do praise the books, no matter what we're going to score them or give them, on at least one account or one specific thing. This one's pretty easy for me. I thought what was good about this was Yoon, who is the wife character. She's delightful and insightful, which is an unintended rhyme. I have to stop unintendedly rhyming, but, you know, we're just going to keep it rolling. I think the turn that happens with her character is abrupt. I think it kills the momentum for me, at least what I was enjoying narratively in the story kind of really starts to fade at that point. Especially the disappearance of the dialogue between her and her husband is uh, makes the story far worse for me. I think their back and forth was the most... I don't know, loving and warm part of the story. Not, again, that stories need to be loving and warm, but when that gets taken away, it's substituted with things like plot summary, and here's ten names of cities I'm going to walk between, and here's here's five relative names, and I'm just summarizing their station, or, you know, it just it devolves into the kind of boring old storytelling of name and movement that we've bemoaned on other episodes of this review series, so I won't get into that again. But, yeah, you and I thought, especially the front half, such a fully rounded character, well observed, and I think really quite quite charming and sweet, and again, kind of odd, but very lightly so, and in a very, I don't know, playful and kind of welcoming sort of way. More time for Yoon. That's my that's my short review of this one. That's my wish. That's what I wish the back half of the story could have been. So what will I rate this then? Officially, our rating system is quite simple. If you haven't listened before, we do a three-point rating system here, where a three is a must-read. We are recommending that you stop listening immediately and go pick this up. A two is a mixed review. It's kind of a qualified recommendation. This, I think, also, if you've been listening for a while, you'll notice that a, a kind of vast majority of books end up being twos, which is kind of by design. We wanted the ones and the threes to sort of pop. I think most things, and this is, I think, pretty reasonable in the grander scheme of recommending art of any kind, really. It's like a lot of it is hit or miss. You know, you might like this, you might dislike this. Um, the things that stand out is either like really harshly, uh, I, I didn't like it, or really aggressively, I loved it, or, you know, few and far between. So anyway, that's what a two would be. And then a one would be, as I mentioned, do not read, avoid reading this at all costs. I think it's that's a strong anti-recommendation. This is a very distinct two for me. I don't remember a book in this collection having such a divide or such a dichotomy about my feelings between the, the front half and the back half. And so 
the front half, it, it did feel like it lacked a little bit of momentum and central conflict, which didn't bother me because, again, I was enjoying the characters and their quiet life and the way they interacted. And so I thought that the charming banter and the characters kept me going, and I, again, was enjoying it a lot. It was a pretty straightforward love story. There was no, I'm not saying it had incredible complexity or something, but it, it was effective in its simplicity, kind of. But when the plot picked up and the catastrophe strike and the conflict really gets ramped up, it just does not work for me. It 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 takes away the things that were so rewarding and insightful in the front half, and it substitutes them with a story that just feels rushed and, I don't know, a bit more generic, I think, in my view. And I wish I could have, I don't know, I wish I could be a little more into kind of the tragic turns, because, again, I don't mind that in storytelling, and it often... The stories I like and kind of love the most often have perhaps unsatisfying, quote-unquote, endings. But the way it was disconnected from the front half and maybe some of the abruptness of it just never fully cohered. So it's weird. It's almost like a three in the front half and a one in the back half, which I guess mathematically would lead me to say that this should be a two. It's an odd recommendation as a two, though, just because... If you take the front half to think, or if you if you hear, listen to this episode and you think, well, the front half sounds, you know, oh, wow, okay, I could go for a 25 quick page uh, romance quick read, then that's going to lead you, I think, to want to finish it, of course. Like, why would you read and then cut it off in the middle when things are just developing? And then the back half, again, is where I think it kind of falls apart. So, yeah, an odd one to recommend, but I think a two is perfectly fitting. A, t- a true tale of two halves, I think that's the literary cliche way to phrase it, and that's I feel quite comfortable leaving it there. And that wraps up my book review of The Old Man of the Moon. Uh, the title is referenced in the story, by the way, and I didn't pull that quote, but I probably should have because it, it's pretty symbolically important to what the characters go through. But I won't now. The review's going to be closed officially. Let's turn the page and wrap this up. As always, thank you for listening. I've got a couple house cleaning bits here at the end. Housekeeping? House cleaning? House cleaning is way too literal. I believe it's housekeeping. I'm going to need to work on my, my podcast etiquette. <laughs> um, some housekeeping here at the end. Again, our social media accounts on Instagram, we are at The Stumped. And on Facebook, we are The Brothers Book Club Podcast. That is where you can find us and follow us for updates. You can, again, see some art that we post that matches with the works and just other g- general things. I think on the Facebook group, I'm going to start posting um, some quotes every week or every couple of days to just build interest and get you intrigued or hooked into the reading or the review that's coming up. So look out for that if you're on Facebook. If not, again, we're on Instagram. The other bit of housekeeping here at the end is that we have, now that this episode is going to post, Next week, whenever you're hearing this, we actually have been recording these pretty far in advance now. Um, The pandemic has uh, given me some free time that I didn't have before. So anyway, we'll be posting these. And then when this one goes up, number 60, Amanda and I have planned but not yet recorded a highlights episode for 41 through 60. If you've been paying attention again to the feed for a while, you'll notice that every 20 episodes, I compile a highlights episode or a kind of best of. Those are definitely the best introduction to the podcast. I think they give you the broadest overview of the things we reviewed and discussed. And so if you're intrigued at all in the reviews episodes, that's where you should go first. And then from there, you can go pick through and listen to whatever you'd like. And so look forward to that highlights episode again. That will be for episodes 41 through 60. I think we're going to record this week. It will definitely be a more loose and I think playful review style than we've done. Uh, The other highlights episodes we've done have been pretty, I don't know, they've been cut pretty rigidly or they're pretty structured. This one will have a light structure, but I think it will be more conversational in nature. So I'm looking forward to see what that turns into. We do outlines and have outlines for all these episodes. So this one should be a fun, I don't know, deviation from that. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. 
As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time between the classics.